Hello and welcome to the Mindful in Minutes podcast, a guided meditations podcast brought to you by Yoga For You. I'm Kelly and today I'll be leading you through your meditation. So go ahead and get comfortable, settle in, and enjoy your meditation practice. Hello everyone. Happy Monday if you're listening when this is released or happy whatever day you are listening to this. So if you are new here, hello, I'm Kelly. I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome to, I don't know, just welcome to just a good old fun science chat because that's what we're doing today. If you're looking for a meditation, you're not going to get it on this episode, but this is the companion episode to yesterday's meditation, which is a meditation for optimism number two. Um, The first meditation for optimism was one of the most popular Mindful Minutes episodes ever, so I wanted to give you a totally different meditation, but still working with optimism. So I don't, you know, no announcements. You guys know the drill. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you, um, you know, sharing reviews, all of that. Always appreciated. It helps me out so much. Um, Of course, you can always access um, a premium feed. It's $5 a month. You get all episodes ad-free and intro-free, plus a bonus meditation every single month. So I always link to that in the show notes. And I am so grateful for those of you, and you know, I'm trying to teach this old dog new tricks. But some of you have been making very kind TikToks about <laughs> this podcast. And, you know, I I like to be a consumer of TikTok. I'm still figuring out how to actually uh, do it. But I am, I mean, I like going on there and I don't know. And then I find myself down these wormholes. But anyways, you guys have been tagging me in these really lovely kind TikToks about mindful in minutes and it is like the coolest thing ever and I love it so for those of you that have been doing that extra special thank you for you but yeah just thanks guys I'm glad you're here so we are just gonna dive right in you guys know I love the brain you know I love science I also love when science backs up what we kind of intuitively know so we're gonna be talking all about the science of positivity it actually kind of Before we can talk about the science of positivity, we kind of have to talk about the science and the neurology of negativity and then how we can rewire our brains from that negative space to a more positive space. Um, And this is something I wanted to explore because I've been finding just in my own life as I'm sitting and I'm meditating, trying to be an observer of my thoughts, that my thoughts have been trending a little bit more negatively. It's like I just kind of get these sort of pessimistic thoughts. I'm like, what the heck? Where are these coming from? So it seemed like the perfect time for both you and I to look at what causes these negative thoughts, why it is so hard to get out of that negativity, but how we can ultimately work on rewiring our brains to be more optimistic and less pessimistic. So before we talk about these signs of positivity, like I said, we need to talk about just a couple of things. We talk about some negativity. We also need to talk about neuroplasticity. So if you've been here for a while, you've heard me 
talk about neuroplasticity, it is this idea that our brains are always changing. Although the brain is not a muscle like our you know, biceps are, our brains can grow and adapt and evolve based on our environment like a muscle. So just kind of like you could go and lift weights in the gym and you could grow, you know, muscle mass, you can change the way that your brain is made up. You can change neurological pathways. Some parts of the brain can get stronger and denser. Some can get, um, you know, they can kind of shrink and become less active. So we can change our brains. And that's this idea of neuroplasticity. Our brains are always changing, they're evolving, they're adapting based on our environment, what we're doing, and yeah. You've heard me talk a lot about this when I talk about anxiety, specifically how meditation can rewire our brain for smaller anxiety responses because when you are meditating, what happens is the activity quiets down in the amygdala, which is the pain worry, fear center of the brain, and then it focuses on the prefrontal cortex, which has a lot to do with emotion regulation and memory and kind of that higher cognitive function. So over time, what happens with meditation is the amygdala begins to shrink, which in many of us, the amygdala tends to be a bit overactive, which gives us big anxiety responses. And we all want, you know, a big, strong, um, dense prefrontal cortex because, you know, we need to be able to have functioning memory and we just, we need that prefrontal cortex. So just remember our, you know, our brains, they're changing, they're evolving. So it's not like a set thing where, you know, I have green eyes, that's kind of a set thing. They will never, you know, magically one day wake up and no matter how much I think about having brown eyes or blue eyes, they're probably not going to change. That's not how our brain is. Our brain can change and adapt, which I think is so cool. So I've talked about neuroplasticity in terms of anxiety, but this same concept applies to rewiring the brain to be less pessimistic and more optimistic. I also, when I was doing research for this episode, I came across these really interesting just like talks and a lot of great articles about the power of our thoughts. So of course, we know that our thoughts are powerful. And I say no, like in kind of these quotations, like in our hearts, we know they're powerful. We've probably had a lot of different experiences in which, you know, you, you know, manifest something or you're thinking about something and like our thoughts are incredibly powerful. But I didn't know a lot of the data behind that. And I didn't realize there's a lot of people actually studying how powerful our thoughts are. So I wanted to talk about how our thoughts can impact our actions. So it's actually been proven that the use of our imagination or thinking about something can impact our ability to perform certain tasks or actions. So for example, I came across this study where there were two groups of people. They were looking at um, people learning how to play the piano. So two groups of people, and there was one group that could only mentally practice. So they would, in their minds, imagine they were practicing playing this particular song on the piano. There was a second group who could physically practice. So they were, you know, fingers on the keys, <laughs> tickling the ivories, if you will, and 
After three days, the mental practicing group could play just as well as the physical practicing group. Now, there was a little bit of a gap. They didn't continue to develop at the exact same rate, you know, indefinitely. There was a point in which the physical practicing group started, you know, getting better faster than the mentally, uh, the mental practicing group. But there are points in which they are kind of neck and neck and they were performing at the same rate and were able to play the song on the piano just as well as the group that was like physically playing the piano. So what they believe is happening there, what they know is happening there, is that thinking about doing something uses the same neurological pathways as actually doing the thing. So when you sit there and you imagine playing a certain piece on the piano, your brain has to use the same pathways as if you were actually sitting there playing and practicing that song on the piano. So what we are thinking about, what we are imagining can actually impact our ability to do those things in everyday life. They used to tell us this. I Again, I didn't know the science behind it, but when I played sports like through college-ish, um, only a few years in college, and I was like, oh, I think, I think my sporting career is over. But um, they would tell us this, right? They would say, you know, visualize things. So I played softball. I was a pitcher, and like every coach that I had would have me, you know, visualizing um, being able to pitch in a particular way, and like visualizing how the game was going, visualizing how I was performing. And they would tell me to do this, but I never understood the science behind it. And now it makes so much more sense. And granted, you know, that was like, I don't know, college was a while ago. So maybe the research was still catching up. But I mean, you hear it a lot for any other athletes or anyone who does any kind of performance, like visualizing something going a particular way, mentally practicing it does impact the way that you actually perform when you're doing the action because they use the same neurological pathways, which I think is so cool. This other study that I came across that I was like, well, that's kind of wild. And I hadn't heard of this one before. Um, This was a study in which they were looking at finger exercises. I don't know what the particular finger exercises were. It just said finger exercises. So uh, use your imagination. So there were two groups of people. And these researchers looked at, like, physically practicing these finger exercises. Again, there is one group that mentally practiced, and then there was a group that, like, actually did these physical exercises. And they were looking at how much muscle mass was increased in the fingers over the set amount of time of practicing. And what's wild is that in this study, um, the group that was actually doing the exercises, they gained 30% more muscle mass in their fingers, but the mental group still gained 22% just by imagining the exercises. And again, it's that same thing that the neurons that were firing for imagining it are the same that you would have to use to actually do these finger exercises. So these people were actually gaining muscle mass by not doing the exercises, but imagining their fingers doing exercises, which is wild. And I do have, I haven't recorded it yet, but it is coming up. Um, I want to do an episode on um, how to like heal yourself with meditation. And spoiler alert, I mean, there's, you know, there's a few different elements in that episode. Um, But 
There's been times in which I have used meditation to like physically heal my body, not in like kind of a, you know, wild out there way. And I'm not saying, you know, forget the doctor. You don't need the doctor anymore. Just like the power of your mind will heal all. I'm talking like I get like a cut or something and um, I visualize my body healing faster and it does heal at an incredibly fast rate. And, you know, I'll share some of those in that episode. But looking at this research, it made me realize that what was actually happening Probably I need to do more research into it before I do that episode. But I imagine what's happening is like, for example, you know, there's a time in which I cut my hand. It healed very quickly. And I think I just told that episode. Um, I just told that story, didn't I, on the My Meditation? I don't know. You guys, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I just told that story. Um, but it healed really quickly. And everyone, nurses and doctors are surprised that it healed so quickly. What I imagine was happening was as I was visualizing the healing of that particular tissue, that part in my hand that had been cut, um, that there was more blood flow going to that area, but also the neurological pathways that would be needed to heal were being used while I was imagining it. So I just think it's really cool that your body can actually change, like you can gain muscle mass or you can rebuild tissue just by thinking about it, which our bodies are so cool. Like the human body, it's so cool. And, you know, that is an opinion of mine, but it is just the bodies are so cool. And so are our brains. Everything about human life, you guys, is cool, in my opinion. So our brains and thoughts have the power to just do incredible things in our body. So I will say a little caveat. It seems that you get the most benefit out of doing these two things together. So in similar studies where they had a group that, you know, was physically doing something, a group that was mentally doing that same thing, and then a third group where they were both mentally practicing and doing the thing at the same time, the groups that do both the physical practice and the visualization, they almost always outperform the two groups that do one or the other. So that seems to be where the magic really happens, where you're kind of visualizing it, but also, you know, doing the activity as well. And that's really that like sweet spot, kind of the double whammy, if you will. So keep that in mind as we dive into a lovely, lovely thing called negativity bias. This episode is brought to you by Element. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I had no idea how important electrolytes are to your body, even if you aren't an athlete. I thought electrolytes and electrolyte supplements and powders, I was like, oh, that's a thing for like marathon runners, not a, you know, good old Midwestern mom like me. And I was so wrong. So Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix and it has everything you need and nothing you don't, which means lots of salt and no sugar. So it has the science-backed, we love science, electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. And of course, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. We don't want that stuff. And I didn't realize how important electrolytes are, that they help facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conjunction of nerve impulses, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance, and it can help eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, and fatigue, as well as sleeplessness and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. I have been having a lot of headaches lately and fatigue, and it never occurred to me that it could 
could be because my electrolytes are off. So I've been incorporating Element into my everyday life. Um, I've really been digging the citrus flavor. It's just like so refreshing, especially in the summer. Um, and I have been just kind of sipping on this throughout the day. And I'm not going to lie, I'm feeling better. And so I highly suspect that maybe my electrolytes were off. So whether you are an athlete, which Element is great for that too. I gave um, some of mine to a friend who is a marathon runner and he acted like I was like freaking Santa Claus because he loves this stuff so much. Um, or you're just a regular old mom or anything in between. Electrolytes are so important. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. I got one of these. It's great. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. And this is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. That's what I did. And get yours at drinkelement.com slash M-I-M. This deal is only available through my link, so you must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash M-I-M. All right, so our good friend, negativity bias. <laughs> so we are actually hardwired for negativity. We naturally have this thing called a negativity bias. And the best way that I know how to explain it is, or where it came from, is to think back to, like, the Stone Ages, right? We were designed to always be looking for danger. We needed to do this to keep ourselves safe, to replay dangerous situations that we were in over and over again, to analyze in our mind, to find out where we went wrong and how it could go better next time. So we had to kind of be negative and be pessimistic in order to survive and to keep ourselves safe. So this is something that we are hardwired with. So those of us that had this negativity bias back in the Stone Ages um, actually, we believe, lived longer because they were able to adapt and to avoid other like harmful, scary, you know, dangerous situations. Now, I want to go back to this idea of we would replay negative situations in our mind over and over and over to analyze where we went wrong and how it could go better the next time. So raise your hand, and my hand is already up in my tiny little closet. Raise your hand if maybe you have heard, um, you know, 50 positive things in a day, which that sounds like a great day, but then one person says one negative thing, and that is what you hold on to to the entire time. I am definitely guilty of this. I, you know, every once in a while when I'm reading podcast reviews and you guys are so kind, so loving, so generous. And like, I'm just like, actually like sometimes teary eyed from reading these things. And then one person will be like, you know, whatever. They'll be like, oh, I hate this woman's voice, you know, or something, you know, whatever. They will share a negative opinion about the show. And that will be the thing that I will think about. And it's almost like those handful of really kind, beautiful, loving things. It's like, where did they go? And then all of a sudden I'm thinking about like, oh my gosh, like, should I feel insecure about my voice? Should I do this? Should I do that? And it's like that one negative thing sticks with you. And I didn't realize, I thought, you know, maybe it was just my own personal like issues, um, you know. But we are actually, we are hardwired to like overanalyze those negative things because that used to be a way that we would protect ourselves and we would, you know, look at the negative interaction and try to find ways to not have it happen 
again so that we could remain safe and alive. Now, there's a big difference between back in the Stone Ages and there was a dangerous situation and I potentially lost my life versus one person being like, I don't like how she uses the words pebbles instead of stones. You guys know I have brought up I have brought up that podcast review. I don't know why that one is just, I don't know, it just tickles me. But when that one person is like, I will never meditate with this woman again because she used the words pebbles instead of stones and pebbles are hard and stones are soft. And all I could imagine was my feet being cut off. Um, and if that person is here listening now, I, you know, I think about you every once in a while. And I don't know why you would still be here because, you know, you said your feet were going to be cut off. But if you are, hey, you know what? Hi. And, but like that, and that was, that was literally years ago, guys. And every once in a while, it will still pop into my head anytime I am doing ocean imagery or any kind of imagery where there probably would be some form of a rock or a stone or a pebble there. I think about like, are these people just going to imagine that like their feet are being chopped off, which is so dramatic. But I think about it. And there's such a big difference between one person's opinion left on a review on a podcast and us, you know, having to think about, oh, last time I was there, there was a bear and I almost got eaten and I need to not go there to pick my berries so that I don't almost die this time, right? Huge, huge, huge difference. But it is the same mental mechanism that is having me rethink these, you know, negative or less pleasant things, analyzing them over and over and over, remembering them, something that's kind of wild is that our positivity and like our happiness um, part of the brain is slightly different than like our negativity part of the brain. So we use a lot of the same areas that have to do with memory when we are experiencing negativity or when we're looking at this negativity bias because we need to remember these things to survive or at least that's the way we are hardwired. So that's why then things, you know, these memories, these negative memories will pop up time and time again. And I just think that that's so interesting how, you know, these things, we looked at this with anxiety too. Like our fight or flight mechanism is so important. Fear is important. It keeps us alive. Fight or flight, even pain, right? Physical pain, it tells the body, hello, danger, look here. Um, You know, if you bump into something sharp, if we didn't have pain, we'd just be, you know, dropping out left and right because we're just bumping into dangerous things and not feeling it. These mechanisms, pain, fear, negativity, even worry, anxiety, like in small doses, these are important parts of our survival. Where we run into issues is where they start to just overtake our lives. And we're constantly thinking about these things and you know, our negativity gets out of control, our anxiety gets out of control, our worry gets out of control, whatever it is, it's getting out of control. And we are kind of, you know, swinging the other way and are constantly, you know, activating fight or flight or constantly in this negativity bias mode. So when we understand how our brains are wired to be negative in, you know, the short term to help with our survival, it then can give us clues on how we can work on rewiring the brain or helping to, you know, in my personal case, I've been doing some work, some particular practices to kind of help to swing the pendulum back into more of a neutral space so that I'm finding my thoughts aren't always as like pessimistic and kind of like grumpy and that they're, you know, swinging a little bit more positive. So 
all of this information just gave me so much more context as to what was happening in my mind and what was going on with negativity and, you know, pessimism and happiness and optimism and all of these like beautiful, wonderful, important things. So we know that our minds have a default mode for negativity, but just like we can change our brains to have smaller physiological anxiety responses, we can train our brains to have more joy and to think positively. So remember, our perception is our reality and what we are thinking about impacts what we do in everyday life. So if we believe that all is not well, everything is bad, no one likes us, our minds will hold on to these ideas to protect us and they believe that it is reality. So if I am constantly thinking that, you know, every single person, every time I release meditation, they're just going to think about their poor feet every single time, that is... I mean, it's going to turn into an issue ultimately, but my mind will think the reality is that every single time I hit publish on an episode that I will get really stressed and someone will not like it. And like my mind believes that that is the reality where it's actually one isolated incident that I just think about every once in a while. So it's important to remember that what we think about, that our perception is our reality, but also our thoughts impact our actions in everyday life. So we are designed, like I said, to hold on to these negative thoughts and comments and experiences longer than the positive ones. Um, You know, if you like get a haircut and five people are like, oh my gosh, you got a haircut. It looks amazing. And then one person is like, oh, that's an interesting style you have with your hair today. Like you're going to think about that one. And that's just, you know, if you're like me and you thought, oh my gosh, am I just like a really, really sensitive person? And these small things like pop into my mind and I hold on to them. And maybe I am. You know, I have talked about how especially since I've become a mother, I feel like I have become a little bit more sensitive or softer. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It just, it's a thing. And so maybe I am just very sensitive, but we are hardwired to ruminate. On these things. Um, let's see here. Oh, I um, I also I wanted to touch on this because this I ended up going down this like wormhole, you guys, about our brains and how they're wired for positivity versus negativity. I ended up coming across this like TED talk about how negativity sticks with you. And this was from a social psychologist, and she did a study on this negativity bias, but saw that the people who had setbacks, for example, it took them, and these are kind of, when I say setbacks, I think she said losses and gains is what she called it. So if you had like a setback, and she talked about um, how people were responding to like a recession, for example, that in our minds that the economy for these people, the economy was doing worse. This was not, you know, potentially our current recession, but this would have been, you know, the last recession they were studying this. And even when the economy started to bounce back, people in their minds perceived the economy to be way worse for much longer than it actually was. And this, again, was kind of, they believe, this protection mechanism and that we are 
just we are biased towards thinking negatively. And that memory part of the brain was really lighting up than thinking about the economy. And it was like we were remembering, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And it took people way longer to bounce back from one negative than it was to kind of um, – what am I trying to say here? I will link to the TED Talk because obviously this woman explained it way better than I did. Um, but I just found it fascinating. It was like you had so many positive things. And let's say you had like five positives and you were just showing on a graph, right? So if the graph is moving upwards, you're feeling good. It's like positive, 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 positive. Then one negative can drop you so much lower and then it took way more positives than before to then kind of bring you back even to neutral. So like one negative impacts you so much more deeply than a handful of positive things, which I thought was interesting. And so you really have to do a lot of little positive things to bring yourself back to baseline or to kind of swing more towards the positive and optimism. And there wasn't a particular ratio. It wasn't like you must do 15 positive things for every one negative thing. Because, of course, in our lives, the negative things, it's not like you can kind of compare them equally. It's not like one negative always equals this many positives. But what we know is that in order to start to rewire your brain to think more optimistically and to boost your positivity is that you have to do lots of little positive things throughout the day to kind of combat these constant, you know, negatives or these frequent um, negative thoughts that we're having and this negativity bias. So lots of little positive things throughout the day has a huge impact on your brain and your outcome, um, sorry, your outlook and how your brain is wired for either optimism or pessimism. So I wanted to end the episode with seven proven techniques, seven little things that have been shown to boost positivity in your brain. And I've been trying to incorporate more of these things into my everyday life um, just to kind of boost my own kind of optimism and get more of a positive outlook because I must have, you know, I can't think, it's not like I've had like a ton of negative things, but I've just been finding myself being a little bit more pessimistic. And I'm like, mm, I don't really like that. So the first thing, of course, this will be on like every list. This is a meditation podcast, daily meditation. So we know that daily meditation, again, eight to 10 minutes a day is enough, helps to boost happiness and the joy part of the brain. So people who meditate daily self-report of being more positive, happier, and more optimistic than those who don't. So that is one little thing that you can do every day to help with this negativity bias and to boost your positivity. Number two, it's this thing I came across called the 12-second rule. So that is when you're feeling kind of pessimistic, you're feeling down, you take 12 seconds to think of a positive memory or a thought that helps you boost positivity. So you can think of a positive memory. You can think of something that you think is like a funny. Um, you can think of someone that you love that brings you joy. And for whatever reason, 12 seconds seems to be enough to kind of kick off that, you know, positive mechanism and that more of that joy. So 12 seconds is all you need. You can just set a little 12 second timer throughout the day. Um, or maybe like before every time you, you know, make a meal or something, 12 seconds of positivity. That seems to really help. Morning gratitude. So starting your day with writing down three things. A lot of the studies that I looked at, they looked at like physically writing it down. Um, so 
I can't speak to whether this is one of those things where if you think about it or you write it, it's just as good. Um, but starting your day with three things that you're grateful for. This was a wonderful mood booster and positivity booster across the board. Something else you can do is say something nice to someone. So they found that people who just said nice things to people periodically throughout the day um, were able to then shift more towards the positive. Uh, In the same vein, number five, do a random act of kindness for someone else. We know that this feels good. It feels good to do something kind for someone else. So random acts of kindness sprinkled out throughout your day or your week is one of those wonderful little positive things that you can do to kind of, you know, help with this negativity bias. Um, recap what positives happened during the day at the end of the day. So it seems like starting your day with gratitude and then ending your day because it's so easy to like go home and, you know, if you live with someone, they're like, oh, how was your day? And you're like, oh, I had this and then I had that. And then this person emailed me and then this person said my meditation made their feet be chopped off. Like you start listing those things, right? But instead being like, well, let me tell you about the good things that happened today. That not only do you instantly feel better doing that, but that seemed to really boost people's positivity and they saw their day in a better light and saw um, the potential for the next day for their tomorrow to be in a better light when they ended the day with the positives instead of the negatives. Um, Number seven, taking time to laugh. So watch something that makes you laugh. Talk to someone who makes you laugh. Like laughing is so good for us and it really helps with this negativity bias. And it's a little positive thing that you can do throughout the day. So I know I said I would share seven things, but I did find an eighth bonus one, which was dancing and singing throughout the day Um, seemed to really boost people's positivity and to be one of those little positive things that you can do. So if you are someone who likes to just kind of like move a little bit, put on some music, like dance, especially if you're still working from home, like why not? So that's your little bonus one. So yeah, that is that is that. That is like the science of positivity and negativity. Basically, we just need to train our brains for more positivity by getting these tiny little boosts throughout the day. And over time, it'll actually start to change our brains and rewire them for more positivity and optimism. So that is that. Um, In that note, the thing that is bringing me joy today. You know, I went to a, um, I went to like a baseball game. I went to a twins game this weekend, which I don't usually do. I took my husband for um, like a birthday and, you know, I had more fun than I thought I would. I don't usually, I don't do like a lot of sport things, Um, but it was just fun. It was just a good time. And it brought me joy, one little thing where I was like, oh, I haven't done this in a long time. And doing something new and different just felt good. And that brought me joy. Um, Answering your question. So I had a question from the lovely Sarah. And she was wondering when I am going back to Iceland next for a retreat. And I am actually, um, it is not opened up yet. I will be opening up enrollment, but I did decide that, um, you know, the New Year's Eve retreat, we're, we're doing it in person again. We are going back to Iceland. I just opened it up to the wait list like a day ago and any available spots after the wait list, I'm going to open up to the public. So if I were you, I would keep an eye on social media and all the things this week because Northern Lights New Year, it is back, baby. And this one is, I mean, I think this is like the, you know, fanciest, like, most like luxurious, like epic New Year's Eve retreat I've ever done. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm going back in December to ring in the new year and you potentially could too, but I will be sharing all of that later this week. And that is that. But I love you guys. <laughs> Kelly, when are you going back to Iceland? Don't threaten me with a good time, guys. I will go there as many times as I possibly can. So keep an eye out for that. And I hope that wherever you are, that you are just having a wonderful day and that you find little moments of joy and positivity all day today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening.